Psalm 137. By the rivers of Babylon. <laughs> By the rivers of Babylon, we sat and wept when we remembered Zion. There on the poplars, we hang our harps, for there our captors asked us for songs. Our tormentors demanded songs of joy. They said, sing us one of those songs of Zion. How can we sing the songs of the Lord while in a foreign land? If I forget you, O Jerusalem, may my right hand forget its skill. May my tongue cling to the roof of my mouth if I do not remember you. If I do not consider Jerusalem my highest joy. Remember, O Lord, what the Edomites did on the day Jerusalem fell. Tear it down, they cried. Tear it down to its foundations. O daughter of Babylon, doomed to persecution and destruction, doomed to destruction, happy is he who repays you for what you have done to us, he who seizes your infants and dashes them against the rocks. Verse 9 is full on. Um, all of you have ever heard that by Rivers of Babylon song. You know the person who wrote that song didn't write verse 9 into his song at all. It's a tough one to chew on, isn't it? Tough one to chew on. Um, I'm going to wrap this psalm in its own story, if that's okay. And then from there, you'll see why it's an important psalm for me, and hopefully it'll become an important psalm for you. Hopefully. You're always free to discard absolutely everything anyone up here says, if it's useless to yourself. <laughs> absolutely. Now, from here, we're going to jump to Jeremiah. And um, the reason I want you to open to the first chapter of Jeremiah, one is so that you know where it is. If you don't know where it is, having looked at it before, two is because I'm hoping also through this psalm that I'll entice you into reading the book of Jeremiah. Yeah. Now you've got to page one, uh, chapter one of Jeremiah. You see where it is? You found it? Let's skip to chapter 10. The practice of flipping pages. I love it. It's good. Can't do that on a Kindle. What does it say at the top of the chapter? Someone shout it out. Gods and idols. Gods and idols. And uh, I'm going to turn you to verse 11. Verse 11 says this. Tell them this. These gods who did not make heavens and the earth will perish from the earth and from under the heavens. Tell them this. These gods who did not make the heavens and the earth will perish from the earth and from under the heavens. By the time we're meeting Jeremiah, a couple of things have happened in the story of Israel. Quick whistle, stop tour, yeah? You ready? Yeah? So you got Egypt, you got the slavery thing going on there, yeah? Then this guy from the river is raised in another part of, of Egypt, comes back after time in the wilderness with his stick going, let my people go, all that stuff. Uh, ten plagues, rivers of, of blood, uh, locusts, frogs, death of the cattle, something like that. Help me if I'm missing something. Death of the firstborns. Oh, no, don't keep these people here. Let them go. Let my people go, wandering through the wilderness. Follow the leader, 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 follow the leader. Yeah? <laughs> they do all of that stuff. They get to the Jordan. Yeah? At the Jordan, they're like, oh, there's giants over there. God goes, you guys don't believe back, follow the leader through the wilderness. They come back again, a new lot of people who have followed God for 40 years, so now they know what it means to follow God. They get to the river again, God goes, ah, oh, you guys have the right attitude, let's get across, yeah? 
They go into this land full of loads of different tribes and nations, and one after the other, they conquer them. Yeah? One after the other. And then, once they're at peace, now, their great king, David, is like, yeah, um, I want to build a temple. And God's like, nope, not you. You got blood on your hands. Someone else do it. Solomon, his son, does that. But the story of the kings, the handover of kings from David all the way down to the very last one before Israel goes to exile is a story of attempted obedience but exceptional disobedience, exceptional. It's unbelievable how this group of people whom God redeemed from absolute destitution very quickly forgot the power of the one who had given them absolutely everything that they had. So you have bad king, bad king, bad king. Maybe a good king who does some, some stuff that's right, but then he doesn't eradicate all the bad stuff. Bad king, bad king, bad king. Maybe a good king who does some of the stuff that's right, but he doesn't eradicate all the bad stuff. So generations learn a way of living that does not honor God for who he is. I'll say that again. Generations learn a way of living that does not honor God for who he is. This is important because there are some things in our lives, in our culture, in our way of living, which we have inherited from those who've gone before us, which are utterly disobedient to the way of God. They're not our fault to have received them. They're just inherited stuff that we have been given. You know? If your parents never told you that avocados don't grow in England, you're never grateful for the ones you've received. And you probably will leave it on your plate. Is that too much? Is that too much? Too much in a reverse, vehicle reversing, yeah? Yeah, vehicle reversing. Yeah. Cotton. It doesn't grow here. We wear cotton all the time. How do you deal with the clothes that you've got? Are you grateful for them? Just, just wondering, throwing it out there. You know. If we have inherited a system that doesn't account for God's compassion for his whole globe, and we live in the convenience of that as inherited people, then we don't even have the apparatus to interrogate the way we live, to ask whether we are contributing to injustice across the globe or not. And we're worshipping at the altars of idols we don't even know, and disobeying God in ways we don't even understand just yet. And so, what does God do? He sends prophet after prophet. You guys, stop doing what you're doing. This is not good in God's eyes. Do they listen? No. This is not good in God's eyes. Do they listen? No. This is not good in God's eyes. Do they listen? No. So, Jeremiah, chapter 10, verse 17. Gather up your belongings to leave the land, you who live under siege. The siege is already at the door. And I'm going to pause here to just to point another thing that's prevalent in Scripture. Whenever a society or a group of people have bedded their ways in, into doing things that are not good in God's eyes, he has a way of shifting the sands. He has a way of shifting the sands. And I'm going to say this here because it's important for verse 9 of the, the psalm. When Egypt loses its firstborn sons, 
it is a remarkable end to a way of living, which probably may not have happened if there had been prophet after prophet after prophet after prophet. Every Egyptian who lost a son, a firstborn, would have remembered slavery and the slaves that they had had and the God who fought for their freedom. And I'm certain for generations would have thought twice about taking a slave. There is something about embracing God's call to sift through what is in your life and hand over a different world or live in a different world, in a different way, a distinct way, that if we don't obey, uh, God will do what he has to to save us from the ills of the culture we are keeping afloat. Because that's what love looks like. Love doesn't look like I'm going to leave you in sin, in the place of death. I'm going to leave you in the place of idolatry. I'm going to leave you in the place of not living abundantly. That's not love. Love is, I will take away this thing that you're clinging onto until your knuckles have gone white, which is not holy, which is not alive, which is dead. Yeah? So, by the time we get to chapter 10 of Jeremiah, um, I think if I'm not wrong, and my theologian friends will correct me later, um, one half of the Jewish uh, kingdom has already gone into exile, and it's the other half that's about to be conquered. And here they're being told, look, this is going to go down. The land that you were given as your inheritance is going to go. It's going it's to be taken from you. You are going to be removed from it, so it won't be your own anymore. You're going to be taken to exile in Babylon. Gather your things. What does it say? Gather up your belongings to leave. The thing that I promised to give you and I gave you and you've, you've had it, you know, it's now in the way of you understanding what it means to be in relationship with me. So pack up for your rucksack. It's going to be a long road. It won't be easy because it's by siege. You will be led out by someone. And then... So they go. And it's, it's once they have left that we meet our psalmist. If you, if you knew where you met with God and it was a place and you'd met him there and it was the one place you were convinced he was and that was lost to you. How would you feel? Let's say, for example, just as an example, say, um, I don't know, uh, one of the satellites of orbiting the Earth um, loses its power, whatever thing that's keeping it from falling down from the sky, and it falls down from the sky, and it aims straight down for W4 and comes in boof, straight through this building and destroys it completely, leaves a crater. Um, You'll miss it, won't you, a little bit? Don't know about the rest of you. I will. I will. Or you wake up and there's a fence around this building. It's still here, but it's a huge fence. And there's a man at the only gate with a machine gun going, you cannot come into this building to worship. Not anymore. You will miss it, won't you? You will miss it, won't you? 
Our psalmist starts from there. Last week, Chloe spoke to us about the dark space. The dark space. And this week, I, I, I felt as she was preaching last week that perhaps it's two weeks of us, God just going, this is how you deal with that space. And this morning, I really caught a sense of it with the 1030 people that actually there's something about God going, there's some, I need you to learn something about these places, these places of exile and pick up from the, what I've been working with my people throughout history uh, for you to know that this is a place of mining really good gifts. By the rivers of Babylon, we sat and wept. We sat and wept. There on the poplars, we hung our harps. There on the poplars, we hung our harps. Exile is a place where you can't afford the idols anymore because the very things that you thought kept you afloat are no more. Exile is the place where you're confronted by who you are utterly in the place of powerlessness. Exile is the place where you are called to be faithful. Because it's easy, it's easy when you have everything around you to confess love. It's harder when you don't, when you're skint, when you have a migraine, when your boyfriend or whatever is, is an idiot and forgot your, I don't know, your anniversary or something, something like that, I don't know, doesn't agree with you on something you think is very important. That's when it's harder. It's harder to go bless the Lord or myself and all that is within me, bless his holy name. But exile is the place of testing and we are in this world now, this broken space is an exile for us because we all know it's not home. But why are we here? Because time tests our faithfulness. This is the arena for us to say, despite what is around me, I'm gonna praise the Lord. Why? Because he's the king of kings. This is the space of faithfulness. And the fruit of exile, the fruit of exile is a faithful attitude. Exile is the place where we meet Daniel, who was thrown into a lion's den. Exile is a place where we meet Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego who were thrown into a furnace and lived. A space of real faithfulness. Prosperity, which is where the Israelites were before they were taken to exile, is a gift, is a gift to be used to demonstrate God's love. But if you're in a place of exile, then prosperity becomes a gift to those who are faithful. So that when you do come out of exile and you're in a land that God has given you, you now can use it in the right way. Because before, it wasn't embraced as gift. It wasn't embraced as gift. So the first part of my journey into this psalm was the warning. And the warning was this. Look at your life, Dennis, curate. Look at your life. Dennis, curate, and ask whether in the way you are living, you are contributing to the systemic sinfulness of this world. Look at your prayers and ask whether you're really weeping for the Syrian refugees who aren't spoken about anymore in the news. Ask whether you are complaining about the children being separated from the parents on the southern border in America. 
are these features of our conversations? Because prayer is the very basic thing you can do. Before you get to recycling, before you get to thinking about fair trade, before you get to thinking about where you're going to get your clothes, you know, before you get to thinking about that, prayer is the first thing. So if it's not featuring in your prayers, it's not going to feature in your actions, because that's the first thing you can do is pray. So the warning was there. If, if that is not the case, Dennis, then pack your things. Pack your things. Because God is going to remove each and every idol that's in the way. The thing that you think is sustaining you and stopping you from focusing on God. It's going to be taken away. And this psalm will be true for you. You will weep by the rivers of Babylon. Because the things you thought sustained you are not the things that will. Warning. Second part was an encouragement to be real with God. And this is where I I get towards... Verse 9, um, <laughs> I learned early on, if um, you can swear before a human being, but you can't do it before God, something's wrong there, and you'll never change. Um, I'd rather you swore before God and, be, and, and not before human beings. Why? Because he's the only one who can actually receive you for who you are. You'll be judged by people, and they don't have the way to redeem you. They don't know how. They don't have the power to either. But actually, it is the God of gods who knows you, who can redeem you, whose embrace is important. So if exile is a painful space, and when I say exile, let me just unpack that. I mean, um, you've lost your job. Uh, I mean, um, relationships on the rocks. I mean, maybe you haven't felt God's presence for a year, give or take. You know? I mean, you know, this one thing that you really wanted has not happened just yet. You know, for me, my really deepest point of exile was when I found out I was an infertile man. That was real exile. I, it was just a hard thing, to, hard thing to, to understand, let alone live past. That's the point that I'm talking about, you know, in that point. If you can't come before God and go, man, this sucks, you know, in whatever terms come to your mouth. I know this is being recorded, so I'm not going to give you an example. But I tell you that I coming before God and, and bleeping and blinding and letting him hear you in the rawness of where you are is the best thing you can do it, for your prayer life. And the first time I did it, I thought I'd be struck down by lightning, and all I got was a gracious embrace and love. And it meant the next time I came, there was less, and 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 there was less. We were going to do communion this morning, and this point made more sense then to talk about holiness as intimacy, holiness as being fully known by God with no secrets. Why? Because the Father knows the Son completely. The Son knows the Father completely. The Spirit is the Spirit of the Father and the Son. There is no deceit between them. God is holy. There is no sin there. There is no separation between them because they are intimate. They know each other and give each other to each other fully. So when we talk about holiness, it's not halo, it's being known. It's being known by God. Being held by him. Having him caress your cheek. That's holy. That's holy. It's that, it's that kiss you don't want anybody to see you give your spouse. That's holy. You know? It's you falling into your father's arms and being embraced. That's holy. That's where it's at. So bring yourself. Poo's wheeze, snotty nose, 
the gunk in the eye you know, in the morning, that stuff, free teeth brushing. Like, <laughs> that is the person who needs to come before the God of heaven and earth to be made holy. Not to be cleaned and made great in appearance, but to be made holy, to be known, to be in that intimate space with the Father. So the warning comes, and then the call to a real different kind of prayer. And then this is my last point for today, which is hope. Is hope. When Jeremiah prophesies about the exile, he says to them, and this is what God says to him to say to them, there is an appointed time at which this will come to an end. There's an appointed time at which it's come to an end. So um, don't, don't expect the change to come now. Yeah. Be fruitful in exile. Take wives for yourselves and for your sons. Have children. Build houses. Be fruitful in the place of exile. Because yeah. the change is not going to come now. But it will come. But it will come. And this is why I particularly love this psalm, because this is the last exile before Christ. It's the last one. They never get a king again until Christ is on the throne. And, uh, uh, this morning, there's an elderly couple, I'd love to show you the photo, who... Um, who uh, uh, it's brilliant, isn't it? You saw the two of them. It was, it was marvelous. It's just a magnificent moment. Um, the elderly couple. Like, I, I was surprised by what they told me, and I, I regret that I was surprised. Um, I was speaking to the guy. I said to him, hey, how come you didn't tell me you had a wife? Yeah? He says to me, no, she's not my wife just yet. And the woman had a big smile on her face, and she showed me her engagement ring. And they just got engaged. I was surprised by this, but then just slowly, just the joy that bubbled in me for what I was just looking at was incredible. And he said to me, he said to me, um, is this okay for us to get married at this stage in our lives? And that wounded me that that was a question that he would feel he needed to ask. Why? Because, and I say this for the married among us and the, those in relationship, to not be smug about it, yeah? marriage is a symbol, it's a signpost. It's not, it's not a destination. It points to something else. Do you see what I mean? So if we rest in it and chill like it's all good and we're not pointing towards the, the love of God in heaven, we are failing in what we're doing. For these guys, they needed to know it was a symbol and whatever point they found love, that was incredible for the story of God and his people. Because now I can say to you, it doesn't matter how old you are, look at this example of love. The God of heaven will pursue you. What's that song? Oh, it chases me down, fights till I'm found, leaves the 99. It's not about you being at a certain age. You could be 120. Love will find you. That's how relentless it is. There is an appointed time. There is an appointed time for the love of God to be known to you. And that's the symbol that they had to show and to share. So if we're not showing it, uh, we're failing. <laughs> We're failing, and that's okay. A little bit of obedience and a lot of grace. The end game for God, the end story for God is 
you and him in that holy place where you're utterly connected to the people in Timbuktu as you're connected to Christ. The end game for God is an end to injustice, both practical injustice, social injustice, uh, I don't know, intellectual injustice, which I, I find is probably my biggest battle most of the time. People thinking that they're here when actually they're contributing to loads of pain over here. You know. The end game for God is for all these things to be done, to be done for. That's the end game. So when I look at the psalm and I get towards the end, I can see God in verse 9 saying, I will cause a cultural shift. I will cause a cultural shift. It's a hard one to chew on. But I know of one son who was slain for a cultural change. One. And he lost his life in a gruesome way. The whips that they whipped him with had metal hooks that would hook onto his skin. So, so when they pulled it back, it would, it would pull the skin off his back. You know, it was an easy thing that he did. But the loss of him and his resurrection guarantee me of that hope which that elderly couple are pointing towards, which I hope in my life and in my living, I am in some way pointing towards that end game. That end game. And I can pray honestly and real, quoting what God says he's going to do to Babylon. If you read Jeremiah, you'll see the, the prophecy about God repaying to the Babylonians what they did to the Israelites. I can pray it honestly. I can bring that before God. Challenged about my life. Invited into a deep intimacy with God. A true, honest prayer before him that is real because it's hopeful. It is real because it's hopeful. Hope that's helpful, kind of. Is that all right, Zoe? All right. I'm going to read this again, but I'm going to do what I did earlier. I'll interpret it how I read it. And then you might want to, I don't know, I'll do what you want to do. From the place of my greatest darkness, where I couldn't even lift my head to sit, and tears wouldn't drop from my eyes, nor would my mouth open to say anything. I remembered happiness. I remembered peace. I remembered a life that can't be anymore. There, I put my guitar down, put my violin away, packed my saxophone. But every time I picked it up, I could hear the voice of the devil saying, you know, sing me one of those songs of God's goodness. You know, give thanks to the Lord our God and King. His love endures forever. I could hear him. I could hear him telling me to sing it. But how, how could I sing? How could I sing this song? How could I sing this song, oh God? How could I sing this song? from this place of shame, of pain, of sorrow. If I forget you, 
Jesus. May I forget all I can do, all I can say. May I be quiet and silent. If here in this place of desolation, I don't remember your cross and all that you've done for me. Yes, my body may be aching, my mind may be confused, but my spirit knows heaven by your spirit. And even in this darkness, it is only a light like a tiny rope I cling onto to slowly lift me from where I am. Remember, oh God, what the devil did, my friends did. On the day I realized that this was my lot for now. Remember the things I was afraid of people saying about me when I told them about the wounds I carry. Stress, depression, anxiety, hopelessness, you are doomed to distraction, destruction. Great is the one who will repay you for what you have done to me. Who will tear down every seedling of hope for your kingdom, that kingdom of darkness where I cannot live to carry on. Who will take them, break them, remove their stings and create a new world from which my healing will come. Amen.